Please open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 19. There's two readings, two different chapters, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament this morning. So Exodus 19, have that open, and then Matthew 24, if you want to flick to that so that you can cross over to that quickly. And this is just before Jason comes and speaks to us. Exodus 19, verses 10 to 19. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you don't approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. And then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. Now if you want to cross over to Matthew chapter 24 verses 21 to 25. This is Jesus speaking. For then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. Down to verse 29 to 35. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson. From the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Thank you, Julie. Good morning, everybody. I thought I had some backing music I'd forgotten about for a second there, like last time with the reading music going. Um, happy Father's Day to all the dads. I'm grateful to be a father. I'm grateful to have a good father here. Grateful to have a good father-in-law here. Grateful for a spiritual father like Wayne and uh, grateful to be among other guys who are wanting to be intentional fathers and um, I get to coordinate the FCC dads group here at the school and that's something we often talk about the word intentional we want to be intentional fathers and I'm 
reading a book about that at the moment, actually, The Intentional Father, Raising Sons of Courage and Consequence. It's good. And one of the things, one of the questions intentional fathers ask is not what's going to happen tomorrow, what's, not what's happening this week at school, but what's going to happen in 10 years? What's, what's happening in 15 years? What are the seeds I'm planting today for the future that my child is walking into? And that's not just a thing for dads. That's for dads, mums. That's for anyone pretty much over the age of 20, even younger. You can be a spiritual father, spiritual mother. You can have influence over our children to prepare them for what is coming. And the things that are coming to the earth are what we want to touch on this morning as we look at the Day of Trumpets, uh, which is followed by the Day of Atonement. So uh, just to add, add my bit on um, delayed gratification for uh, Father's Day gifts, it's... Yeah, maybe it's a bit weird to fast. We're in the middle of a fast. It's Father's Day. What do you do? I want to say keep the fast. Keep going, men. Uh, we need fasting fathers. We need men who will be, you know, it, it can be really rough to cook sausages for your kids and sit down with a bowl of soup. Um, but we need the men who will be the ones at the dinner table while everyone else is feasting. They've just got their Bible, maybe a carrot, and they're leading their family in devotions for that night. And you can do that. So press into that, dads. Uh, most of us, it's, it's uncomfortable, but it's not... It, our, our, our usual problem is overeating, not undereating, let's be honest. So I want to encourage you, embrace the weakness of fasting because we need those intentional fathers. We need those that can, can contend for our children, pass something on to our children of... We are following Jesus. We are longing for him more than the comforts of this earth. Um, another book I'm reading is called The Nation's Rage by Dave Slyker. I've got a quote from that where he says, I have very little influence over the larger world. My greatest impact lies in the life of Jesus that I make mine and pass on. The best inheritance I can give my children and grandchildren is the knowledge of God. The best inheritance I can give my children and grandchildren is the knowledge of God. And again, it's Father's Day, but think beyond fathers. If you can influence a six-year-old, then you, you can become that person who cultivates a life in Jesus and passes something onto them that's going to carry them into the years ahead. The best inheritance I can give is the knowledge of God. So what does that mean? What does it mean to give an inheritance of the knowledge of God? Well, that's about us cultivating our own friendship with Jesus and the overflow of that sincere reality touching the lives of those around us as they watch us. Maybe they, maybe for those of us who are parents, they see our, you know, our Bible's not gathering dust on the shelf, but they see them open. Uh, they, they see us leading in prayer. They see us uh, leading out in family worship. We've got to take the lead. Fathers, we've got to be intentional in these things and give our children the inheritance of the knowledge of God. So it's our own intimacy with Jesus that spills over into their lives. But also the knowledge of God and giving our children an inheritance is about as one preacher put it, not evangelizing them into our own agnosticism about the end times, which is a fancy way of saying living a life that says, well, yeah, there's, there's end time stuff, there's Jesus' returning stuff, but I'm, I don't know, I'm not so sure, which translates to I don't care to our children. The issue of the return of the Lord is a critical issue and we need to take, that's an area we need to take the lead in. That's part of the gospel. We want to, of course, we talk about wanting to give the gospel to our children, but the gospel of the kingdom involves a king who's returning. So I'll say that again. We don't want to evangelize our children into a kind of agnosticism, like, I don't know, maybe, maybe not, regarding King Jesus coming to the earth. If you don't know about 
those scriptures in the Bible, that's okay. You don't have to have all the answers. Kids are really good at asking the hardest end times questions that you've never thought about before. So I'm not saying we have to be, uh, you know, we have to be A to Z with, with answers. You know, yep, here it is. We just need to go on the journey for ourselves and take this next generation with us to say, we need to be prepared. There is that day coming. So, all that to bring me to the subject of the day of trumpets, because God's given us annual reminders to remember his story, to remember things he's done, and to consider things he will do. So the day of trumpets isn't as well known, if you're new to the subject, it's not as well known as, say, Passover. We have all heard of Passover, probably. But it's in the same chapter, it's in the same flow, when God's giving the Israelites' uh, instructions about their community life. This is one of the annual reminders, the Day of Trumpets. Ten days later, it's followed by the Day of Atonement. And then a few days after that, there's a week-long festival called Shelters or Tabernacles or Sukkot. So this is what these fe- here's a summary for these biblical festivals, if you're new to this, because I know there are a number of people. This is new. The biblical festivals that God gave Israel They're not Israel's festivals, they're God's festivals for his people and they are gospel rhythms that help us to shape our lives around the person and work of Jesus. So just as Passover for generations pointed to a sacrifice that will be made to set slaves free, sorry, as it remembered that story in Exodus, And then Jesus, on the day of Passover, laid down his life to set us free from slavery to sin and death. So all these festivals have uh, prophetic significance. So we want to look at that today. We've used this saying over the years at New Life. Uh, I can have it on the screen and you can say it with me as we often do in these seasons. Ready? One, two, three. God's rehearsals for God's people to participate in God's story centered on God's son, restoring God's creation for God's glory. So this is the summary we use when we talk about Passover, when we talk about Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, when we talk about shelters, this is what it's doing. It's a rehearsal. It's remembering God's story. It's remembering what he's doing. It's building that that knowledge of God that we can pass on to the next generation. And as a leadership team, we were recently discussing via email how years ago the biblical festivals seemed so controversial. It was an anomaly to be talking about it as a church, to be practicing it. But right now in the global church, there is a lot of conversation, a lot of celebration of God's story revealed in the biblical festivals. And it's, it's good to just see little initiatives popping up all over the world about how these have meaning for us uh, as the saints today. So I want to say a few things about the Day of Trumpets, which starts, as Julie said, tomorrow night, and then bring it back to this thing of preparing a next generation for the world they're walking into. So before I read, I'm going to be reading some scriptures from Leviticus 23 that will be on the screen, or you can follow along in your Bible if you want to turn there. Uh, the biblical name for trumpets is Yom Teruah. Yom meaning day, Teruah can be translated different ways, but it's to do with the sounding of trumpets. And uh, it's actually the one festival in modern times that's rarely referred to by its biblical name because somewhere between the Babylonian exile of Israel and the second century, somewhere in there, uh, the the rabbis, the leaders of the day, uh, shaped it to become something called Rosh Hashanah, which means the head of the year. So culturally, it's the Jewish New Year. So a big time of celebration for Israel, although I think they're in lockdown possibly. Um, but that, that's to say there's a lot of uh, extra traditions and practices and discussion that we don't necessarily find in the scriptures. Some of that's interesting. Some of that's helpful. One of the most helpful traditions that emerged is this kind of sacred countdown leading up 
to the day of trumpets, these days of repentance, these days where they would uh, not just blow the shofar on the day of trumpets, but many days beforehand, a month beforehand, building up to say, hey, it's time to prepare, it's time to get ready. And then specifically, uh, the days between trumpets and days of atonement, they're 10 days and they've become known as the 10 days of awe. And, and that is a really useful practice that we've uh, taken on to remember the day of atonement was about a national salvation, a national cleansing coming before God is a very sober day. Julie's going to speak more about it next week. But those 10 days, which are the 10 days we're entering into this week, uh, days to join with those ancient habits of presenting ourselves to God, saying, search me, Lord. I want to be one prepared to meet with you. So a uh, bit of extra commentary there for Rosh Hashanah and some of the other traditions. But when we come to the text, there's not a whole lot explicitly mentioned. and We have to dig a little bit into the theme of what is the Lord highlighting with the trumpet because he is certainly highlighting something. So Leviticus 23 verse 1. The Lord speaking to Moses about the community life of Israel. If I can have that on screen, the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, which you are to proclaim as official days for holy assembly. And then it goes on. It starts with Sabbath, which is the foundation of a, of a rhythm of life for God's people. And then it talks about Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost. And then we come to verse 23, which is uh, where our focus is today. The Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. On the first day of the appointed month in early autumn, now that's Israeli autumn, we're in a different hemisphere. So for us, it's spring, right? On this day, you are to observe a day of complete rest. It will be an official day for holy assembly, a day commemorated with the loud blasts of a trumpet. And in terms of the instructions given for this annual remembrance, at that point, that's basically it. It's a day of rest, a day for sounding the trumpets. So if this is... It just seems like a kind of glorified Sabbath with a bit of noise. Why pay so much attention to it? What place does it have? Well, one of the things to consider is for that generation, hearing these instructions about how they were to live. When you said the sounding of the trumpet, you can translate it different ways, apparently. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but it's a day for sounding trumpets or it's a day to remember the sounding of the trumpets. What trumpet sound would have been so fresh and so significant in the memory of Israel as a nation that it would need no further explanation? Julie read to us from Exodus 19, and if you caught it, it talked about trumpets. Let's, uh, I'll read it again quickly. Have I got that one? Uh, Exodus 19, did I have that slide? Yeah. So on the morning, the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a what? A very loud trumpet blast. And then a few verses later, it talks about God coming down on the mountain in fire. And as verse 19, as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended on the mountain. God came down. Now, the first, here's the takeaway. Here's the trumpet takeaway. If this is a new subject to you, I think you're going to have to go back a slide. I think I skipped one. This is, this is my summary. The day of trumpets remembers a day when the Lord came down as king. And it anticipates a day when the Lord will come down as king. That's my trumpet's takeaway for you. If you're overwhelmed by all the other words coming out of my mouth today, that's the takeaway. It looks back to the sounding of a trumpet, to a day when the Lord appeared as king before the nation. And the sound of the trumpet was so such that the mountain trembled, the people trembled. They said, we're going to die. Don't speak to us anymore. We can't handle this. And as we'll see in a moment, the day of trumpets anticipates 
the Lord coming down as king. Now, Mount Sinai, I've been realizing over the past year and the different readings I've been doing how incredible this moment was. I mean, it kind of, in my epic Bible event scale, it was just kind of, you know, God split the Red Sea, uh, chariots of fire were seen, uh, the walls of Jericho fell down, and God came down to Mount Sinai. Like, they're, they're all amazing things. But actually, as I've been contemplating more and reading different different things, God coming down on a mountain in fire before a whole nation, this, this is a critical moment in the story of the Bible, and there's nothing else like that. God's never done that before or since. Gathering of people around this mountain in the wilderness, these newly freed slaves, and coming down, saying, I'm coming to meet with you. He came as a king to meet with the people, to commission them to be his missionaries, his priests to the nations. This is a great commission moment where he said, I'm your king, I'm your husband, I'm your bridegroom God, I'm making a covenant with you as a whole nation. And now you're going to go and take this message of the king and his kingdom into all the nations of the earth. That's what Mount Sinai is about. The Lord came down. Now they didn't see his face. They didn't see a figure. They saw the fiery heart of heaven and this you know, fire, this smoke. They heard this sound and it was more than they could handle. But this is what's imprinted on the memory of national Israel. Even today, this is, this is the defining moment. They met their God as king at Mount Sinai as the trumpets were sounded. So that's the first part I want you to remember. The bridegroom God who makes a covenant with his people came down at the sound of the trumpets. Now, I need to keep moving, so I'm going to go on to part two, which is not only does this day remember the Lord coming down, but it anticipates a day when the Lord will come as king. Now, I'm just going to rip through a couple of scriptures. There are more than I have on screen here today. But like I said, there's no other explicit, well, this is what the day of trumpets means. There's no verse that says that, but there is a theme throughout the rest of scripture. Here are some of the things that Paul was thinking about too with the trumpet call of God. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So we have a trumpet. We have the Lord coming down from heaven and we have the dead in Christ rising. We have resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, again, the Apostle Paul was writing. He says, It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. Okay, so we got trumpet sounds. We got a last trumpet. The last trumpet is blown. When the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. Uh, Revelation 10. In the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet. How many uh, trumpets are there in the book of Revelation? So the seventh angel blows the seventh trumpet. So this is the last trumpet again. When he sounds, when he's about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. So it's talking about the end of where this story is going. Revelation 11, verse 15. The seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices shouting in heaven, the world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. So you can see that clearly the Lord wants our attention. He's doing some word association things. When I sound a trumpet, you say, the Lord is coming. When I sound a trumpet, say, get ready, because things aren't just going to be the same as they always are. Something different is going to happen. The Lord came down on a mountain in fire, and the Lord has promised he will come down 
and it won't be hidden in a cloud and uh, it'll be a man, the son of man, the divine human, a person we can look at. There will be trembling and mourning in the nations. There will be resurrection of the dead. There will be gathering of the saints with him and everything is going to be different. I've, here's what I was... Th- I, I, this, this, this is how I'm reading the room and, and this, is, this is true for me too. I feel like we need to ask the Lord to help us because this is so Chronicles of Narnia to us. This is so Lord of the Rings. And that, that's okay to admit that, but we don't want to stay there. I need this reality. I need what Wayne was reading from 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, to fix my eyes on things unseen. We can only see this through the scriptures with the eyes of faith. But friends, this week, what I love about the Festival of Trumpets is this annual reminder that kickstarts things in my family again to say, hey, let's have a conversation that things aren't always going to be this way. There is really a day coming and you, my children, might live through it. Things in the earth are ripe for prophecy to be fulfilled. Israel is in the land. Before 1948, people looked at all these prophecies in the Bible and, well, we're just going to make that mean that because Israel, obviously, they're not a people in the land. In our day, well... Our grandparents, our parents, however old you are, things have been established in the earth that mean prophecy can take place. The gospel is going to every nation and then the end will come, Jesus said. The gospel is on its way to every nation right now. Every people group is about to receive a witness. We're in those years where the gospel is advancing. So what does that mean? It's not the same as it was 50 or 100 years ago. Things are different in the earth. And we need to say, maybe that's a prayer you want to pray this week. God, help me get your return out of the Chronicles of Narnia category and into the my generation, my children, my grandchildren. Get ready. Sound the alarm. Let my spirit hear the trumpet call of God because there's going to be a last trumpet and there's going to be a king who comes down on the earth. Now, Julie read a portion of Matthew 24, which is Jesus teaching on the end of the age. The, he, he makes some comments about the destruction of the temple, but they ask a question about the sign of the end of the age. So I believe Matthew 24 is primarily commentary about the end of the age. And uh, he warns his disciples about deception. He talks about things that he calls birth pains. And we know birth pains are things that increase in intensity until there is a birth. Things like wars and famine and earthquake. He says these things will come. He says the gospel will go to every nation. He says the greatest time of distress the world will ever see is coming. And the way he says that means... It's the greatest time of distress. Now, for people who have read about the Holocaust in history books, that's sobering. If there's, a, if there's one time that is the greatest time of distress in the earth, and it's the time Jesus spoke of, we know it will outdo even World War II and the, the horrors of that time. And then in the part that Julie read for us, which was around... Verse 29, it's almost like the language of Mount Sinai in that there's shaking on the earth, there's heavens, heavenly things shaken, the Lord descending in clouds, there's a trumpet blast. Did you catch that when Julie was reading that? Jesus said he'll send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. There it is again. And he'll, they'll gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to a, the other. So again, as Paul said, there's a trumpet sound. There's resurrection. Jesus said it. There's a trumpet call. The angels are gathering the saints. There's going to be resurrection. We're going to meet with him. And then the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. If you know 
anything about that title, the Son of Man, Jesus' favorite title for himself. He's quoting from the book of Daniel. And basically it means the divine human. And when Daniel saw a vision of the Son of Man, it was a man coming before God, the Ancient of Days, who was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that must that shall not be destroyed. So God came down at the sound of trumpets on Mount Sinai. He forever associated that scene with his presence and so he will reveal himself again to his people at the end of the age. He's going to come and Israel, the ones he made covenant with, the ones he said, there's going to be something that happens in you as a nation. You're, you as a nation, you're going to be saved, and that blessing is going to touch the whole earth. That is still to come. That's a whole big subject to unpack, which is not my purpose today. But in the, in the coming days, our daily devotionals, keep tracking with them. It's going to begin to lead us into prayers for Israel, scriptures considering the role of Israel in the end of the story. Now, there's a lot of words coming out of my mouth, a number of scriptures. Again, just the takeaway for today, if it's new to you, the day of trumpets. When we come to this day, we remember the Lord came down as king and the Lord is coming down as king. And we pay attention to what Jesus said in Matthew 24. Just after he spoke of that trumpet sounding, he said, keep watch. You must be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not Expect him. Another quote from David Slacker, speaking about our tendency to drift into short-sighted lifestyles that are only concerned with the immediate individual issues. And he says, you know, kind of what I was saying with this, this Chronicles of Narnia mentality, it seems like a fantasy. It seems so far away. It seems like it could never happen in our day. It's like I said, the unimaginably great crises of human history are filled almost repetitively with stories of men and women assuring one another that war and events of mass destruction and epic loss are almost impossible in their generation. For example, World War I, the 1900s, a beautiful time to be in Europe, peaceful, prosperous, this is what the American historian John Keegan writes. He says, in 1914, war came out of a cloudless sky to populations which knew almost nothing of it and had been raised to doubt it could ever again trouble their continent. Europe in the summer of 1914 enjoyed a peaceful productivity so dependent on international exchange and cooperation that a belief in the impossibility of general war seemed the most conventional of wisdoms. Perhaps something similar could have been written about us in January 2020. You know, peaceful productivity, international exchange and cooperation. War is impossible. And then what happened? It's like God's trumpet began to sound pandemic, riots, economic pressures, all these things. Perhaps we've begun to wake up, perhaps not. What does God need to do to wake us up, to realize prophecy is real? The things Jesus said, it's real. Conditions in the earth are going to change and those things are going to come to pass at a point in time. What if it's our generation? Jesus says, keep watch. You do not know the day or the hour, so keep watch. We want to turn, oh, we don't know the day or the hour. We want to turn it into, well, if we don't know, that's that whole evangelize our children into end time agnosticism. It's like, we don't know the day or the hour, so don't worry, kids. Let's just be good Christians and we'll be ready. It'll happen to us at some point. Jesus goes to great length, Matthew 24 and 25, to say exactly the opposite. Because you don't know the day or the hour, be looking for the signs. 
be paying attention, keep watch, cultivate intimacy. He tells those parables in Matthew 25 of being ready in our relationship with God, looking at the world that our children growing up in and saying, hey, be alert, be ready. The great war was impossible for anyone in that day to conceive of beforehand. No one was prepared for a modern warfare on a scale of millions of soldiers, what it would mean for the nations, how it would devastate and decimate an entire generation. Their future crashed into their present with sudden and unexpected violence. The first two decades of the 1900s brought a perfect storm of progress, new social and political realities, economic and military self-interest, and the hubris of powerful men. Hubris is one of those fancy words that just means they were really overconfident. The modern world collided with the old world and the nations were not ready for the collision. What's the author's point here? He's, he's wanting to wake us up. He's wanting us in our peaceful productivity, in our cultural promise of a perpetually bright future. Follow your dreams, kids. Yes, but only if it's in the context of what the prophets are saying and what Jesus is saying. Dream big about the kingdom of God and go after that because it's not going to just be bigger and better. That's the seductive lie that we need to be awake to and that we need to disciple our children in. That for decades it's been the prosperous Western world. I hope we're awake to the fact that a lot of that is crumbling right now. The things that we thought were strong and just, you know, eternal prosperity aren't really that strong. Things in the nations are shifting. Our frailty as humanity is being exposed. But are we awake to it? Or do we just join our culture and pushing on to, you know, just another, just just get to the next savior, whether it's the vaccination or the economic policy or whatever. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm not making comment on good or evil on those things. I'm just saying, where is our hope? You know, our hope cannot be in the next government payout or policy. Progress and comfort combine together to weave that seductive lie that tomorrow will only be better than today. Like I said at the beginning, and I'm going to land this now, we have very little influence over the wider world, but the life we have in Jesus and pass on to others, that's our greatest impact. And that's something we can all get on board with. We can give the children beneath us an inheritance of knowing God and his ways. We can be those who pay attention to the sound of the trumpet and stir up the conversation. It's not always going to be this way. We don't need to get sucked into the swirl of bigger and better. We need to be in the place of intimate friendship with Jesus. That's our safe place. That's where we find hope. Resist the sleepy complacency of the culture. Paul was saying the same thing in his day, the Thessalonian church. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, like labor pains upon a pregnant woman. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. People will be eating and drinking and marrying. Therefore, keep watch. It's like he's giving us a clue. It may not always be as upfront scary as you imagine it to be. There's going to be people just pursuing their peaceful product, humanistic, productive, humanistic way of doing things, saying, we can do it. We will make the world better on our terms. It's that Garden of Eden rebellion, not the tree of life. We'll do it our way. Jesus says, keep watch. The prophet Joel says, blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm for the day of the Lord is coming. So I've scribbled down a few hopefully practical things to help us. On this Father's Day, 
with a, a sobering word, but a necessary word for us to consider. So I'll speak this to you as fathers, but these apply widely. As the day of trumpets begins, and we have the 10 days to the day of atonement, let's have a family focus of being a prepared people. Let's do things like engage with the scriptures about the end of the age and the return of Jesus. And this isn't just for the next 10 days. This is for lifestyle. I have heard a number of people say, I got told when I was a child, don't read the book of Revelation because it's just going to give you nightmares. Those days are gone. We need our children to be in the story of Revelation because it's about the beauty of Jesus. And yes, it's about trouble and distress and things that will happen on the earth. But if they know their part in the story of the beauty of Jesus, they will have something to stand on. Let's engage with scriptures about standing with Jesus in suffering. This pains us as parents because we want the perpetually bright future for our kids. But it's wisdom to ground them in what the scriptures say. First Peter is a great book for a family Bible study because it's about suffering. It's not a yay, let's do it kind of subject, but it's, it's reality. It's the things Wayne was talking about, sharing about the church in Afghanistan. I'm not going to dumb that stuff down for my kids. I want to bring them into that story, into those stories of courage in the face of great difficulty. I want to give them a better story than the cultural narrative of just, you know, get good results, make money, get a bigger house, whatever it is. They need a better story. I can disciple them not into a trouble-free life, but a trouble-proof life. I want to ground them in the scriptures that talk about this. Things we can do as, as fathers is we can read to our children stories of courage and endurance. Um, the ones that came to my mind were the ones I was, my parents read to me as a child. Corrie ten Boom, Hiding the Jews in Nazi Germany. Jim Elliot, the martyrs, the missionaries went to South America, gave up their lives to take the gospel. Engage with the persecuted church. We do this as a New Life Church family. I want to encourage you in your homes to be, to be aware of the story. Get, do the email subscriptions. Get the notifications. What's happening in Nigeria? What's happening in Afghanistan? What's happening in China? And as a family, make it part of your family story. We pray for these ones. You know, every night of the week, have a different nation that you focus on. Give them a bigger storyline than the immediate individual concerns of our culture. Help them understand we are different. Again, as parents, this pains us because we want them to be popular and well-liked and just to fit in and not have trouble. But they, if they're going to follow Jesus, they will be different and they will stand out. And we have a gift in community to spur one another on as parents some of you, you know, you've got graduating from high school kind of kids. You can speak down to us in the, in the little years and we can all encourage each other and share wisdom and as new technology comes along, help each other go, what do we do with that? We can do it together. Our kids will be different. They're not supposed to blend in. And finally, stir up their holy imagination and their hope by talking about the coming kingdom. This might sound really heavy. Read a, read a book, do a, a Bible study on suffering with my kids. Well, yeah, ground them in reality, but it's not without hope. Our primary pursuit with our children is the beauty of Jesus. And from that place, we get to these other subjects of how do I overcome in suffering? How do I live when it's difficult? Because of the beauty of Jesus, because I know who he is, because my primary focus is on him, I can handle these other things because he gives me grace. So stir up hope and holy imagination. Have family conversations about the kingdom of God. You know, what will those trees that bear fruit every month in Revelation 22. What's that going to be like? You know, just ask those childlike questions together. You don't have to have all the answers. What do you think it means when it says, you know, the child will play with the cobra, stick his hand down the snake hole? Yeah, maybe it means that. Peaceful, uh, enjoyable nature play with the cobra. 
Like the prophets use the language of the prophets. They saw things that are not just poetic. Oh, that's, that's a bit Narnia. No, they saw things about a coming kingdom that is glorious. And the reason our children want to read those fantasy books is because they're yearning for another age where these realities they were created for will come to pass. So let's give it to them, the prophets, the book of Revelation, not just made up things, true things. So stir up hope. So that's it for today. That's the end of my scribbles, see? So worship team, would you come up and help us close? Wayne, I want to actually ask you, on this Father's Day, Father of the house, would you come pray for us as we continue on in sacred assembly? Is that all right? It's a day of trumpets. To the generation that heard that instruction, they remembered, wow, the Lord came down. And as we search the rest of the scriptures, we see the story playing out. The trumpet call of God, the return of the Lord, the resurrection of the dead transition moment that's really going to happen to real people and transition us into another age so use this day of trumpets join us tomorrow in the prayer room if you can and uh, let's continue on in seeking the lord in sacred assembly together thanks jason jason's given us a real feast this morning wow that's that's wonderful to Digest. Thank you, Jason. Yeah, bless him. Bless him. Encourage him. Affirm him. Thank you. For some of you, you know that this is the rhythm. This is how we do do life together as a church. Every day, every year, we've been uh, participating in God's rehearsals for God's people. And for some of you, you're new into this. And it could be the very first time you've heard something like this. And we encourage you to keep searching out the scriptures. Um, we want to be and we are a Berean community. And I say that to some people and they're not quite sure what that, what that is. So if you're not familiar with what it means to be a Berean, it's one of the things that Luke writes about when he writes the Acts of the Apostles. And he speaks of the community in the place of Berea who eagerly received the word that was given to them and they went away and examined the scriptures to see if what Paul was teaching them was really true. And that's what we mean by saying a Berean community. We receive the word eagerly and we go away and we examine the scriptures to make sure that what we're being taught is really true. I do want to pray for you, as a, for us as a people. So I invite you to stand on this Father's Day praying from Ephesians chapter 1 Paul says I have not stopped thanking God for you I pray for you constantly asking God the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ to give you revelation and wisdom so that you will grow in your knowledge of God Father as we stand here today and as I stand in my capacity First of all, I want to thank God. I want to thank you, God, for all of the people in New Life Church, all of the people that you've entrusted to us. And Father, on this day, my prayer is for all of us to encounter you. You're our glorious Father. You are the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing, Father, I want to speak this blessing over New Life Church that you will give us greater revelation of you as our glorious Father that will anchor us with hope and encouragement and security and peace in our hearts in this world in which we live in today. So God, regardless of whatever kind of Father we have or we don't have in our lives right now, God, I'm asking for the revelation of you as that glorious Father. There's no other Father like you. You are the greatest Father. And we want to fix our gaze on you. And the other thing, I also want to ask you, God, that you'll help all of us who are fathers and grandfathers to be conformed to your likeness, to be fathers like you. So as you, as you reveal to us, God, more of 
who you are as Father, let that flow into us and through us so that we reflect and our, reflect you, so that our fatherhood becomes a reflection of the fatherhood of God, the glorious one. And God, I'm asking that you would give us wisdom and revelation so that we grow in our knowledge of you, God. And as we enter into, we continue to their sacred assemblies, we enter in to the day of trumpets tomorrow. Father, release, release greater wisdom and revelation so that we grow in the knowledge of you, that we understand the times and the seasons in which we live, that we prepare our own hearts and we prepare the hearts of our children and our grandchildren so that on that day, as we hand this on successively, as you intended it to be handed on from generation after generation, so that at the appointed time that there be a generation who is standing, watching, praying, looking for the day of the return of the King of glory. So help us, God. So many of us, I know, we feel inadequate for this task. We stumble forward in the grace of God. We keep committing ourselves to grow and learn. I ask you, I'm asking you, New Life Church, we're praying together. Would you just say, Lord, I commit my heart. I set my heart afresh. I don't don't feel I got any handles on this. I feel like I know a little bit. I got a thimble, but I'm standing here on the shores of an ocean and I'm holding a thimble of water, a little glass of water. I'm going, this is all I got, but there's this vast ocean of things I don't understand. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Holy Spirit. Give to me that spirit of wisdom and revelation so that I grow in the knowledge of God. Just begin to pray that in your life. Just begin to speak that out. Whisper that out as we begin to sing together. Just begin to say, stir it up. Help me. Give to me, Lord. Give to me, Lord. Wisdom and revelation. Open up, the, open up realms of revelation. Wisdom as I open up the scriptures. Let them speak to me. Open up. Fill my eyes with light to see you, to behold you. So grow. Help me to see Christ above all, to behold Him as I read the Scriptures. Because I want to grow in being conformed to His likeness, His image. On this Father's Day, we say, Great are You, Lord. You're the greatest Father we've got. You're the eternal Father, the wondrous Father, the one who we can submit our lives fully to, completely. We can be completely at peace because You are such a good Father. You are a good Father. You're working out your good purposes, your eternal purposes. Take our hearts deeper in trust in you. Good and glorious Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.